0: I want to start this morning by giving you a test. Now, I know that's not the way you like to hear a sermon start. Uh, nobody likes tests, especially this is finals week for app students, and uh, they've got tests enough, but it's an easy test. It's a test uh, you can you can uh, not even have to think about. It. It's a test of, uh, of just where we stand, and I'm going to lay it out for you. So I don't want you to be thinking. Uh, let me create a scenario for you. It is late at night. You've been watching TV, and you begin to get hungry. Supper's already been served, but you'd like a late-night snack, and you're really craving a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I, I don't know if any of you crave peanut butter and jelly like I do or just peanut butter, but uh, you decide you want a sandwich. So you go to the cupboard, and uh, you get the peanut butter out, and you get a, a slice of bread, and you just cover it in peanut butter, crunchy if you like or creamy. It doesn't matter to me, but it's uh, just piled up with peanut butter, and then you go get the jelly out. And it can be whatever kind of jelly you like—grape, or strawberry, or blackberry—and you, you just—you can't wait for the sand, It just tastes so good, and kind of making me hungry now. But you put that grape jelly all over that white bread, and you just slather it on, and you're sitting there looking at those two wonderful pieces. And as you begin to bring that sandwich together, the piece of bread that was holding the jelly slides out of your hand and begins to tumble to the floor. Now, here's the test. How many of you believe that when that piece of jelly bread falls to the floor, it's going to land on the bread side to the ground? How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that when that jelly r- r- toast falls down and tumbles, that it's going to land smack dab on the jelly side? How many of you, how many of you don't care because you've got a five-second rule? You'll eat it anyway, amen? <laughs> that quick... In that instance, I just helped you identify whether you are a pessimist or an optimist. Whether you realize it or not. Because those of you that said that it's going to fall jelly side first, Murphy's Law, right? It's going to happen. You're a pessimist, whether you want to admit it or not. Because you automatically assume that the worst is going to happen. Now most of us, if we had to be honest, would say that we probably do fall More on the pessimist side. There's a group of older men that would gather once a week uh, for coffee. Uh, I don't know if you've ever run across some of these groups at McDonald's or uh, the cafeteria or wherever, but they would gather every Wednesday morning. They'd have coffee and they would solve all of the world's problems. They discussed everything, politics, local, national. They would stir and, and get into discussions. And always the discussions had a tendency to get negative. And one day one of the men that was there every week came in and he announced to the rest of the men, he said, listen, uh, I'm tired of always being negative. I am going to throw off my pessimistic ways and become optimistic. And all the others were shocked by it. They were quiet and uh, didn't know how to respond. And finally, one of the other men watching his friend make this announcement looked at him and said, you know, I understand that you want to throw off pessimism and you want to be more optimistic, but the look on your face shows that you're upset or worried. What's wrong? He said, well, as I was thinking about it, I don't think I can do it. (laughs) Now, some of you will get that later. Okay, that's a more advanced humor. But we all, we all tend to lean toward pessimism. It, it's not easy to be an optimist. See, what I found is that even the most optimistic people, even the most glasses is half full kind of people, are always going to face and confront things in life that have a tendency to turn us more pessimistic. We face difficulties. We face struggles. And as we face those things, our heart begins to turn. And what we need to be careful for is if we don't watch out, pessimism can lead to cynicism. And pessimism could lead us to a negative heart and a negative place that can begin to have an influence on our walk with the Lord. You see, the more pessimistic we get, the more negative we get, the less we will begin to trust in Jesus Christ. Because you see, pessimism and cynicism is the opposite of faith. Because we had faith that God is in control, faith that God knows what's going on, faith that God is calling to bless us, then we will instead of looking at the negative, begin to look for the positive. But you see, pessimism robs us of that rule. If we're not careful, pessimism can steal the joy of our heart and the joy of our salvation. It can rob us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's a dangerous place for believers. Now as I said as we've been talking about Joseph this morning I want to begin to look at his dad because his dad Jacob who is now called Israel has been confronted with some difficult things and he has allowed those things to turn him more pessimistic. But I want you to understand as I start this morning that Jacob is a godly man. Jacob is like many of you in this room. He, he makes mistakes and he's done some things wrong, but he loves the Lord. And he's committed his family to the Lord. Now, he didn't always start that way. You remember Jacob's story when he was born. Uh, his name was Heel Grabber. That's what Jacob means. It also means deceiver. And he lived up to that name. He and his, his mother helped to deceive his older brother Esau out of the firstborn birthright. He stole the firstborn's birthright from his brother and he fled. Well, while he was fleeing with this birthright, he went to his uncle's house. And while he was at his uncle's house, his uncle decided to deceive the deceiver. And he promised him that if he would work for seven years, he could marry one of his uncle's daughters, uh, the prettiest daughter, Rachel. And so he worked seven years. But on the night of his wedding, his his uncle tricked him and deceived him. And he married not Rachel, but her sister Leah. When he discovered it the next day that that's what happened, he went back to his uncle. His uncle said, I got a deal for you. You work seven more years. I'll let you have the other one. So, I mean, I don't know if that was a deal for him. <laughs> I won't say anything on Mother's Day. Blessings. But, you know, he worked 14 years and got two wives. And in that time, he began to trust more in the Lord. He began to grow in the Lord. And it tells us that one time while he was out in the plains of Nebo, he came across an angel of the Lord. And many people believe it was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And he began to wrestle with what's called God or, or the Lord. And as he wrestled with God, he grabbed a hold of God and said, I want you to bless me. And he walked away from that wrestling match, that encounter with a a kink in his step. God reset his hip where he couldn't walk right. But he also walked away with a new name. He was no longer called Jacob, deceiver. He was now Israel, the father of nations. And he also walked away with a renewed covenant of God that God was going to bless him. Jacob was a good guy. He loved the Lord. But over time, things in his life began to pile up to a place that it turned him more negative. First of all, that wife that he worked 14 years for died in childbirth, giving birth to her second son, Benjamin. She passed away. He was brokenhearted. Then a year later, his favorite son, Joseph, disappeared, told by his other sons that he was eaten by a wild animal. And so for 20 years, he has missed out on having his favorite son there. His favorite wife dies. His favorite son dies. And now... The, the Holy Land is embraced in a famine. There is a huge drought, and his family is in danger of being taken out by this famine. So he decides to send his sons to Egypt to get grain. And so his sons go off to Egypt to get grain to decide how they can continue his life. And as we're about to see, when they come back, his pessimistic attitude has the danger of ruining everything that God was working together. And because of his attitude, because of his negative spirit, everything that Joseph had endured, everything that his family had gone through was on the verge of missing out on God's blessings because he couldn't see God. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 42. We're going to pick up where we ended last week. Now you remember in Egypt, the boys had gone to Egypt to get grain. Who was in charge? It was Joseph. Their brother, they didn't recognize him. It has been 20 years. He looks different. He looks Egyptian. But he recognized them. And they come in and they bow down to him, which is a fulfillment of the dream that God had given him back in Genesis 37. He bow, they bow down to their brother. And he begins, in that instance, to see that they are repentant for what they did. And he wants to develop a plan so that he can have his whole family come together in one place. See, it's only the ten brothers there. They left Benjamin behind. So he begins to ask him. He begins to say, you're spies. I say, no, we're not spies. And they tell him their family story. And he says, well, I'm going to put you in jail till I decide what to do. And after three days, he lets all of them out except the second oldest, Simeon. And he keeps Simeon. He says, here's the plan. I will give you the grain. You go back to your father. And I will keep Simeon to guarantee that you will come back and bring your other brother. He wanted to see his youngest brother, Benjamin. And so the brothers, while distraught at leaving their older brother decide to load up and leave. Well, Joseph also took all the money that they had paid, the silver and gold, for the grain and put it back in their bags, which essentially he was giving them the grain that they needed for free. And so the brothers come back to the Holy Land. They come back to their father. And in what their father says, I think we can learn some lessons this morning about our own heart and about how pessimism can destroy lives. So if you have your Bible, chapter 42, I'm going to look at verse 35. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was a pouch of silver. And when they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. And their father Jacob, Israel, said to them, You have deprived me of my children, for Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. He says this term that is the direct opposite of what I read you earlier from Paul. He says, Everything is against me. You see, in that moment, he began to only see a partial view of what the truth was. He said, all my sons have been deprived. Simeon is no more. Simeon wasn't dead. Joseph wasn't even dead. But he couldn't see the reality of the situation. Because you see, what happens is pessimism and negativity will always rob you of a clear view of what's happening. See, negativity will always take you to the worst case scenario. It'll always take you to a place where you feel like everything that is happening is happening against you. It's self-serving. It's negative. Here he is, and, and instead of realizing that they just got all this grain to feed their family for free, all he can see is the problems. And he doesn't see the problems for his son or his grandchildren. He only sees the problems for himself. Woe is me. Everything is against me. Have you ever found yourself in that place? Where things compile, where things pile up, where things just seem to come at you one after the other. Disappointments and disasters and circumstances. And if you're not careful, you can find yourself in a place to where you begin to think, woe is me. Everything is against me. Not everything is against him, but that's what he sees because he's allowing pessimism to rule his life. Pessimism always feeds into fear. It always feeds into lack of faith. Did you hear him in any of that say anything about God? Anything about God's plan? Anything about God's step? No, why? Because he had taken his eyes off of God in the midst of it and only seen his problems. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Now, what kind of plan is that? You can kill your grandkids if I don't bring your son back to you. You see, It's spiraling. Because the negativity has skewered what the picture and reality is into a scenario that should never have been brought up. Because that's what pessimism does. When we only see the negative and the bad things that are happening to us, we develop grand scenarios and schemes that only dig us deeper holes. Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you, for his brother is dead and he's the only one left. Now, (laughs) imagine yourself in that room. When daddy, surrounded by nine other sons, says, I'm not sending Benjamin with you. He's all I got left. That'll make some fun times at family gatherings, won't it? You see, he had allowed this negative, hateful spirit to overwhelm him to where he was so clouded by pessimism that he couldn't see all that he'd been blessed with right in the room. He was only able to see what he feared and what he focused in. What did he say? He said, I'm not sending him. Simeon's on his own. I'm not sending my other son down. We're staying here and we'll eat the grain. You see, not only did he react negatively, he overreacted. Because that's always where pessimism takes us. It's always where negativity takes us. We always overreact. We always overextend ourselves. Now, Now, I know it's easy for us to sit here and listen to this and read this and think, man, Jacob just was a mess. But let me ask you this. What would you have done in the same situation? Now, I know sitting here in church on Sunday, you can give the Sunday school answer. I, I'd have trusted God. But that's not reality. We know what happened. We know the big picture. We're looking at all of it. Would you really? Would you have trusted God? Or would you have turned to that negative place? Would you have turned to saying everyone is against me? Because if you'd have trusted God, why didn't you this week? Why didn't you this year when disaster came, when circumstances got out of hand, when you faced a bad doctor's report, when you had that financial setback, when relationships were distraught, when you allowed your anger to get out of control or depression to rise up, why didn't you say, I'm trusting God? Why did you allow yourself to be taken to a place where you were overwhelmed with negative thoughts and pessimism? a dangerous place where we don't trust God did you fall into that everything against me push the panic button or did you say I'm going to trust God you see Jacob was filled with self-pity and fear and because of it he overreacted and he put himself in his own pit because that's where negative thoughts and pessimism will take you now I'm not saying you can't be a realist not saying you can't understand the circumstances and situation, but most of the time we can't even be realistic because we're not getting the whole story because we don't pause to listen and see the whole story. We get wrapped up into this pessimism. Let's keep reading. See how it affected him. Remember, he said, We're not going back. Now the famine was still severe in the land, so when they had eaten all the grain they'd brought from Egypt, their father said, Go back and buy us more. They've been eating it up, and now there's still famine. So dad, Mr. Negativity, comes back and says, Well, I guess we've got to send you back. And the brothers, Judah says to him, The man warned us, we can't come back and face him unless their brothers with us. And if we send our brothers along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you'll not send him, we can't go because the man said, I will not see you. In Israel, Jacob says this, Why did you tell the man this trouble on me anyway by telling him you had a brother? You hear what he's saying? Why did you even tell the truth? Why didn't you lie? Do you see the spiral? You see, once we begin to be eaten up with pessimism, all of a sudden other areas of our life start compromising. You see, all he could see was this was about me. This was about me. Why did you bring this trouble on me? See, it's not enough now that he's blaming Joseph, now he's blaming the other brother. It's your fault. It's your fault we ain't got no grain. It's your fault that my brothers are stuck down there. It's your fault. It's your fault. You should have lied. It's always the path of following negative thoughts. They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. They asked, is your father living? He asked us, do you have another brother? We simply answered the question. How are we to know? He would say, bring your brother down here. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. For I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible. If I do not bring him back, you can set me here before you. I will bear the blame before you all of my life. For as it is, if, as we have been delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. See what he's saying? He's saying, listen. Please, Dad, send us. We could have already gone twice and got grain. You see, his negative thinking, this pessimistic thinking, was keeping him from discovering what God had for him right around the corner. You see, instead of following God, instead of seeing the bigger picture, he had coistered himself up and said, I'm not doing anything. And then their father said to him, if it must be, then do this. Put some of the best product in the land in your bag. Take it down to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachios, and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put in the mouths of your sack. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. You hear what he's saying now? I'm going to give you some stuff. Maybe we can bribe him. See, lying's not enough. Now he's looking at bribing him. And then he's going to bless them as they get ready to go. Because listen, that's what we do. Because we're Christians, right? And let's just be honest. We get mad, get angry, we, we finally settle. I guess God's going to do this anyway. Well, then, then let's just pray. See, so we pray, God, you bless what I'm doing. Instead of saying, God, I want to follow what you're doing and be blessed by it. God, I'm trying to work this out. I've got my boys ready to lie. I've got some stuff in the bag that we can trick them and bribe them. And so now I'm going to ask you to come and help us. And so that's what he does. He prays. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man that he will, and others, let your brother and Benjamin come back with you. Now, if he'd ended there, you probably could have said, okay, at least he tried, but he didn't end there. He ended with this at the end of his prayer. For as for me, I am bereaved, I am bereaved. You know what he's saying? He says, God, please bless them, but me, I am here, and everything is going wrong. Woe is me, woe is me. He is eaten up with pessimism. Nothing is ever going to work out. So what lessons can we learn from Jacob's horrible, terrible, no good, very bad week and month and year? Well, hopefully you and I can understand that having a faith-filled, positive attitude can change your life. But allowing yourself to be eaten up with pessimism and negativity cannot not just affect your walk with the Lord, it affects everyone around you. You understand that when you allow pessimism and negativity and lack of faith in God, it doesn't just affect you, it affects your spouse, it affects your kids, it affects your family, it affects your workplace. Because you see, if all you ever do is look at the negative, if all you ever do is is be pessimistic and and look for the worst case, then your kids, that's all they're going to hear and they're going to grow into that same person. And then your spouse is going to be like that. And then the people that work around you are going to be like that because misery always loves company. That's why that little group of coffee drinkers, it's easy when two or three become pessimistic for even the most diehard optimist to get sucked into pessimism. It's the end of the world. Listen, I know what's going on in our nation is enough to drive anybody pessimistic. I mean, I know... The elections and where the elections are held. And I don't know who you're going to vote for, but it's enough to think it's the end of the world. Listen, what kind of lack of faith is that? Listen, God's not surprised who the Republican candidate or who the Democratic candidate is. He's still on his throne, he's still in charge, he still runs things. It doesn't matter who we elect, and it doesn't matter what happens in that election. All that matters is that we are faithful and trust Him, that He is going to work His will and His way in this nation if we're faithful. You see, we allow negativity to get... I mean, turn on the news, it's all so negative and so downtrodden, and then it creeps into our lives, and it creeps into our spiritual life, and it creeps over into our churches. Where everything is just so bad. Christians can't be like that. You understand that? Life is full of changes. It's full of challenges. And those things are hard enough to face. Even if we have good, faith-filled attitudes. Living a life of negative, pessimistic, faithless attitude will not only make you miserable, but it'll make those around you miserable. It'll rob your joy, it'll rob your peace, and it'll rob your happiness. As I told you earlier, there are many things in your life that are out of control. You can't control them, but you can control how you respond to them. And the sad things that I've recognized is the older we get, the more we allow pessimism to rule, the deeper it grows in our spirit. See, it doesn't get less with age. It gets harder and deeper and more entrenched with age. And instead of growing better, we grow bitter and we grow brittle. So what can we do? How can we stop from becoming a pessimistic, negative person like Jacob? Well, I want to close, just give you a couple of things to think about. A couple of concrete things you can do. The first is the easiest. Is admit that you struggle with a negative, pessimistic attitude. It's the hardest thing to do because we don't like to admit it. We just like to say, listen, I'm just a realist. I'm not a pessimist. No, you're negative. And we try to pretend that we're not. We come to church and we smile and we act like everything's good and everything's okay. But the reality is that's not who we are. You see, if you want to know if you're a pessimist, judge your reaction the moment that you're confronted with difficulty. Not after you've had time to prepare and plan and see everybody later. That first reaction. What happens when change you encounter change? What happens when things don't work out the way you want? What happens when things turn different from what you had planned? What is your first reaction? That's your heart. Is it negative? Then you need to start by first admitting it to yourself and to God. I struggle with it. You see, the cure is in the confession. The cure is in you saying that, that I need to change. And when we are honest with ourselves, it's the only place that we can start. You see, what you need to do, how do you do that? The first time you begin to see negativity rise up, pessimism rise up, you need to say, God, I'm being negative. Holy Spirit, I don't want this to be a part of my life. and You need to ask God to give you the reality and the control to be able to stop it before it happens, before it comes out of your lips, just when it's still as a thought. You know a great way to do that to get help? Not just the Holy Spirit. Find somebody you love that will encourage you, that will hold you accountable. Find somebody that you love that, you know, now... You know, I'm not saying this is free reign to tell your spouse or your kids that they're always negative. Be encouraging. Ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask a coworker. Listen, when you hear me slip off into this negativity, when you hear me slide into pessimism, would you just say something? You don't even have to say, just kind of point at me or nod, and I'll know. The Holy Spirit will show me. Because you see, you may think you're hiding it, but you're not. You may think you've got it under control, but you don't because those that work with you, they know the truth. Those that live with you, they know the truth. The first step is admitting you have a problem. The second thing is we need to keep what Charles Swindoll calls the vertical focus. What does that mean? That means instead of always thinking how this relates to me, whatever circumstance or situation, we need to ask ourselves, how does this relate to God? Because that's what Jacob didn't do. Jacob didn't say, maybe God's trying to teach me a lesson. Maybe God's trying to get my attention. Maybe God's trying to help me here. He all of a sudden went to, how does this affect me? You see, for you and I to rid ourselves of negativity, a great thing to do is to begin to ask ourselves, what is God doing in all of this? Maybe this change or this circumstance or this difficulty in my life is God's way of trying to break through to me. Ask God to open our eyes so that we might see it through His vision. You might be surprised what you see. You see, that's why it's easy for us looking at this story later to say, I'd have trusted God. Why? Because we saw it God's vision. God's looking at your life and all you see is the here and now and you're developing negative scenarios and negative thoughts and God's saying, listen, don't you understand? The blessing is right there. You see, all Jacob accomplished was putting off God's reuniting his family and God blessing his family. None of those negative things that he were looking... That, none of them happened. Simeon didn't die. Joseph wasn't dead. The famine didn't kill him off. He didn't take Benjamin and put him in. None of that stuff he was all worked up happened. All that he accomplished by throwing his pity party and anger was stealing his own joy and peace, but also putting off God's blessings. I wonder how many believers this morning, in this room, are this close to a breakthrough, are this close to experiencing something incredible from God, God's blessings. You're that close, but you're not getting there because you stopped trusting Him, and you've trusted your own negative thoughts, trusted your own negative scenarios, and you're sitting here saying, why is all this happening to me? Instead of opening your eyes to God's plan. See, God does have a plan. God is in control. And, and what happens to Christians is we try to handle it in our own strength. That's what Jacob did. Next time lie, here's a bribe. And then when that fails, you know what happens? We get even more negative. And then we start blaming God. It's God's fault. God, why didn't you do anything? God, why didn't you take care of this? God, why, didn't, why did you throw all of this on me? Instead of trusting Him and looking for His hand in the first place, we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to think vertically. And last thing, we need to be open to change. Now I know some of you are going to say, Pastor, what does this have to do with change? You're always talking about change. Because you understand the number one enemy of change in your life is pessimism, negativity. Because any time you're confronted with something different, something new, Something changed. If you're a pessimist, your first attitude is no, never, not going to do it, right? That's just the way we are. That's different. That's not what I'm used to. I don't like it. I don't want to even try it. And what you see when you do that is it closes you off from something that God may be trying to teach you, something that God may be doing in your life. Because I've told you before, the Christian life is about change, It's being changed every day into the image of Jesus. And sometimes Jesus allows sandpaper into our lives so he can rub off the rough edges. It's not comfortable and we don't like it, but if we don't let it happen, we will never be made into his image. We'll just be the same block we started with. See, some of you this morning, God is trying to open your heart to see things in a new way. Now, I understand not all change is good. Some needs to be resisted. But there's a lot of change that happens in our lives that need to be embraced. But if we can't see it, we'll never embrace it. You see, what we need to do is in that moment of change, that moment we need to ask God, how should I respond? See, I've told you this many, many times. It's nothing new for those of you here every week. When things pop up that we don't expect, something happens. We weren't planning on something happens that upsets us before we respond, before we do anything, we need to say time out and take a breath and take a step back and invite the Holy Spirit in and say, God, how do you want me to handle this? It may be he wants you to resist it. He may be he wants you to say no, but it may be that he's trying to call you to something bigger than yourself if you'll trust him, but you'll never hear it as long as you jump right to pessimism. You see, even as Christians, it's easy to allow the things that the world throws at us to turn us into pessimists. It's easy to grow to a place where we always see the glass as being half empty. But if we had to be honest as believers of Jesus Christ, God calls us to recognize that we should just be happy that we have a glass. Instead of worrying whether it's empty or full, we just need to be thankful that God's given us a glass because we don't even deserve that. And the moment that we can begin to give thanks for what we have, we recognize that it could be a quarter full, but it's full because we trust in a God who saved us and set us free. This morning, God can help break the negative habits you struggle with. He can help break that pessimistic attitude if you'll trust Him. But it starts by you admitting it. You see, I I know I struggle with it sometimes. I struggle because all pastors struggle with cynicism. We struggle with this idea of saying, I know God can do it, but He probably won't. Because we've seen too many times, over and over and over again, God do incredible things and then God not do incredible things when we thought He was. And it wasn't because he wasn't God, it's because we stopped trusting him. But it causes us to grow cynical, so we struggle with it. Fight it all the time. But I don't want my story, when I reach the end of my life, to be, woe is me and all these things against me. I want it to be like Paul saying, everything had a purpose to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I recognize it. That's the difference between optimism and pessimism. And that should make us excited enough this morning that we're willing to say yes. You see, God never promises that you and I won't have terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days or weeks or months or years. But he does promise us that we won't face it alone. And that should be enough for us to say yes to whatever life throws at us. And that should be enough that we should say, I'm open. To whatever life change has come. But it starts with you, Jacob or Paul. Let's pray.